Welcome to the 140th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Witcher. Once again, stepping in for Mark Ollington. And frankly, it does look like I might be doing this on a fairly regular basis now, as our number one host, due to, due to take part this evening, had to pull out due to a work meeting. At least that's what he told us. Um, so, we are recording on a Monday evening in the middle of the second international break of this autumn. Arsenal's last game was a 3-0 win against Manchester United. They next take the field to play Watford on Saturday tea time. And we are back in our traditional community centre venue as our more recent hosts, Pybury Corner, are currently not open on Mondays and Tuesdays. Those who did not appreciate the background ambience of pies being ordered, door slamming and police sirens on the Holloway Road will doubtless be relieved. Anyway, time for the introductions of tonight's panel, which I will keep fairly brief, as there is much to discuss. First up, making it two months in a row, something we haven't experienced for an eternity, and drinking a New World red wine this evening. It's a warm welcome to regular Guna columnists known to most as the Highbury Spy, but to us, it's hello to Mr Steve Ashford. Good evening, and having missed the last issue, I couldn't miss the podcast. Good to have you here. Next up, a publisher extraordinaire and a man who speaks at least three languages. He's watched Arsenal matches so far this season in Spain, Germany, London pubs and even on occasion in the stadium itself. With a bottle of San Pellegrino at hand, it's good evening to Mr Mustafa Goldstein. Hello. And last but by no means least, last time he was on the panel he was accompanied by an ESPN film crew from Brazil. Footage of which I have yet to see. But we have no doubt the podcast gang will be mobbed should we ever set foot in Rio de Janeiro. It's great to see the return of sometime Guna contributor and regular Ask Blog columnist, amongst many other outlets for his talents, nursing a rather large bottle of Leffy, as we couldn't find any Ethis for him. It's welcome back, Mr Tim Stillman. Well, night. Right, gentlemen, we've got a lot of uh, topics and questions submitted via Twitter. Um... There's a couple here I'll start with. One from Mark Holmes, referring to our last match. Why can't we seem to play in the style we did against Man United in most games? And David Boyd asks, Having been to a couple of humiliations at the hands of Manchester United, do the panel feel we missed a trick in not really rubbing their noses in it when we had the chance? Or is 3-0 satisfying enough? Tim, I'll start with you. Um... Well, in a way, was that the real Arsenal we saw? Um, you'd like to think so. It's definitely Arsenal at top of their game. I, um, I think, I mean, the reason why don't we start like that all the time, I do think we start like that kind of quite often, actually, more often than we realise. Certainly in the big games, I think it's, it's a real strategy. I think we saw it against Manchester United last season. I think we had three really good chances in the first half an hour. The last time we played Bayern at home, I thought we battered them for 20 minutes. Um, and we saw it again against United on um, uh, last Sunday. The difference is we put the chances away this time. That was the real difference. Um, and I think quite often we see with Arsenal, actually, the first 10 to 15 minutes is quite bright. And then if they don't score, the other team kind of settles into a pattern and settles into the game. And I think sometimes Arsenal maybe get a bit complacent because they've created a couple of chances. They've not taken them. And they just think, oh, well, we'll create another five or six and one will go in. And then we've all seen the story a million times before where the other team goes down the other end with their first attack, scores, and it's a much more difficult game. And so I think one of Arsenal's big problems over the last kind of four to five years, you know, even leaving aside some of the kamikaze defending, is actually taking chances. I think if Arsenal took more of their chances, I think we'd have seen an awful lot more from this team um, over the last four to five years. And that was what made the Man United game so brilliant 
was I've seen Arsenal start like that before, but but kind of scoring all of the chances they were presented with um, was really really refreshing. And I think we kind of saw it against Liverpool back in April as well. And you know it, it's impossible to start every single game like that because you know that was really Arsenal at the top of their game, and it's just not you're not going to get that in every game, and not every match is the same. Um, in terms of should we rub their noses in it, I'd like to have seen it, but quite frankly, having seen us throw away quite a few seemingly unassailable leads, I was quite happy to see Arsenal hold it and let's take baby steps and maybe you know rack up a couple of these wins before we worry too much about that. Um, I'm much happier with winning that game 3-0 than perhaps 3-2 or drawing it 3 all. so it would have been nice to rub their noses in it, but... In the second half, personally, I got exactly what I wanted out of it. Um, Steve, I mean, Manchester United, before the game, were regarded as a genuine title contenders. People were talking them up. Um, do you think that makes Arsenal <laughs> the real deal? Well, we've won, well, not won, but we're unbeaten in three games now against Man United. Drew 1-1 at Old Trafford, beaten 2-1 at Old Trafford in the FA Cup, beaten 3-0 last week. In this calendar year, we've beaten City 2-0 up there. We've beaten Liverpool 4-0 at the Emirates. I think our record against the bigger clubs is improving. But I think it's, it's quite telling that, that before the City game and before the United game, the players before both of those games apparently had meetings on their own without Wenger. And the performances were absolutely brilliant. So how much has Wenger had to do with those performances and how much has he not had but that aside it's absolutely brilliant to win these games and to you know to put United to the sword and um, with regards to um, should we have rubbed their noses in it and should we have gone for more having just conceded three against Olympiacos three against uh, Monaco and three against Anderlecht all from positions of well not so much um, Olympiacos but certainly um, certainly Anderlecht we were 3-0 up and let, that back, let them back into it to 3-3 as Tim said I was quite happy to sit back let United have the ball catch them on the break and not concede a goal I thought that was brilliant mm. OK Basti where did you watch the game? Um, I watched Man United I was actually offered a ticket with 45 minutes to go and I was in a, a publishing meeting with um, I could not, there was no physical way I could get to the game, it was really annoying, so I ended up at home with my iPad, so a friend of mine, don't tell anyone at Sky, a friend of mine's given me his code, so I can, I can, watch, I can watch it on my iPad now, which is uh, pretty handy, um, so uh, it, I know the die-hard gooners will be going, oh, you should have dropped your publisher's meeting and gone to match, what's the matter with you, but um, I've got bills to pay, and uh, yeah, so I... I uh, I watched it on. The, it was just brilliant, though. God, it was just brilliant. I were, mean, were United bad or were we good? I would say they were bad. I would say they were bad. Is your name, is, what's your name? No, no, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> the, the spies, just like the spy interjecting. It's That's like, it's like there's it's, only yeah, one, one yeah, for one interjector around. You can say they're bad as well if you want. Right. Yeah, say they are. They're mediocre, right? Now, I'll be honest with you, Chelsea. You know what? If they hadn't have cheated, I don't think they'd have beaten us either. I think Arsenal are better this season. I think. Uh, Wenger's made mistakes in the, in the European games, you know, not rating the opposition highly enough, not, uh, you know, dropping players. Um, you know, he made five changes. Uh, what was it from Olympiacos? There were five changes for the team that played Olympiacos and, and Man United. Um, he's making too many changes, too much tinkering. You know, every European match is a big match. Um, you've got to play Petra Cech in goal, you know. Uh, what I think where he's going wrong, I don't know if he's made a promise to Ospina or something, but I do think you know he should be playing Petra Cech and that first team, that obvious first team, that team that beat Man United. Maybe with Koscielny, Gabriel, you know, a switch there. But otherwise, that is the first eleven for me. Um, and he really, there's no need for him to um, tinker. Um, you know, he's got. The Champions League and the, the Premiership are the first two most important things. Um, you know, it's Champions League because we've never won it, and Premiership because it's it's the Premiership. It's the champ. That's what we want. Uh, the FA Cup, yes, we love it, and it's great that we've won it two years in a row. 
and, uh, and the League Cup, and frankly, who gives a shit? Um, so, you know, I do, I want to win it. Well, yeah, that's you, Steve. But, you know, <laughs> I, I don't mind winning anything. Winning's good. But, you know, uh, for me, the, the order of merit is, you know, champion, uh, Champions League, League. Some people will argue the League's more important than the Champions League. And then FA Cup and then League Cup. So you play Ospina and you play the, the, the people you want to blood or the people who aren't, you know, your first team players. In those competitions, you don't play them, you know, against Olympiacos when you have to have a win. But in Wenger's defence, then, I see, <coughs> and goodness knows, it's, it's rare for me to defend Wenger. The Champions League comes through every Tuesday and Wednesday and then Saturday or Sunday, Tuesday and Wednesday, Saturday and Sunday. You can't play the same 11 players every four or five days you have to rotate well Olympiacos was on a Tuesday and Man United was on a Sunday but they were get those two teams were Olympiacos and Dynamo Zagreb Arsenal should be able to beat both of those teams with a second string ok how about say so you're Arsene Wenger how about playing the team that beat Man United against Olympiacos and when you're 3-0 up take, take off the ones you want to there rest is, and then make your change there is that point that we fell down because our second string is obviously not good enough not because we rested players, that the second string weren't good enough. You know, that's the problem. Tim, are you a believer in rotation in this day and age? Uh, yes, very much so. Whether, it's, whether you make five or six changes at once, I don't know. I think there's a devil's advocate argument here that would we have started Manchester United with the sort of energy we saw had we played exactly the same team on Tuesday night. However, I don't think that argument applies to the goalkeeper. Um, for example, and I think that's quite a strange one, and I think it looks fairly obvious to me that there's been a conversation with Espina there, and he's promised him, if not the Champions League games, the games that he expects us to win, uh, and obviously that one backfired on him. You do have to rotate, and I think we do have, particularly at this stage of the season, there are a lot of squad players who didn't really play much at the end of last season. There's been no international tournament. So the likes of Gibbs and Debushi have been kind of sitting on their hands for the last six months. And they probably do need games because we're going to need them as the season goes on. Whether you make that many at once, I'm not so sure. I, I, I'm a fan probably of a more kind of gentle rotation, two to three players at a time. Yeah. Um, and I think he possibly, with the Olympiacos game, played with fire a little bit. I'm with Steve. That team should still be beating Olympiacos. The team that we put out in Zagreb should have been more than enough but ultimately it wasn't, and when, when those decisions go wrong, then, and I think Arsene Wenger's said that himself, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for the results, and when those decisions go wrong, they go wrong, but I think in, you know, before the game, the only one that I was really worried about was the Ospina one, um, before the Olympiacos, and before the Zagreb game, um, other than that I was fine. But even then, you would never have expected Ospina no. to drop that over the no, line, no. given the form that he was in between January and May. Yeah. And you wouldn't yeah. have expected him to have that much to do at all. No. Well, I remember, I, mean, I, I went to the Olympiacos game, and I remember going in there, and just, just as I was going to, I was in the concourse, and all the screens were up, and they were in the tunnel, and I could see your spinner, and I thought, what? I thought, what? why on earth? Petra Cech must be sitting there thinking, this is what, he's sitting on the bench thinking, this is why I left Chelsea, so I wouldn't sit on the bench. Yeah. You know, and he's a Champions League winning, experienced international. I, don't, I, I love Ospina, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, Czech is clearly the number one choice for big games, important games. I'll tell you what you do notice, having, having seen Czech in that Man United game, the sheer presence and charisma that he's yes. got. I mean, he, he's got so much more presence. It ripples through charisma, the side, doesn't yeah, it? Than Ospina's got. Ospina's a good keeper, but he doesn't have much presence. Mm. And it's just brilliant that we've now got that presence in, in, in And also the Manx, when they had a couple of chances, you know, it was, oh shit, I've got, you know, just that having Czech there with his stupid little hat on and all that, you know, oh. you just, you know, you, it, it's enough to put them off. To, oh, absolutely. You know, they're not going to, that, that shot they had right at the end of the first half, you know, uh, I thought, oh shit, that's a goal. So did I. Yeah, so did everyone, right? <laughs> but it wasn't, and that, that's Czech. I thought Mertesacker was turned a bit easy for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been, been known to be turned easily occasionally. <laughs> but it's, it? it's not just the presence, that save at the end of the first half from Anthony Marshall. That's just because, also, because P- Petacek's six foot five, and mm. when he sticks his leg out, it's much more significant mm. than yeah. David Ospina coming out and sticking his leg out because there's more of him. Yeah. yeah. I always had this, when he, when he, he's probably, as readers will probably know from what I've said in the column, when, when he played for Chelsea, I always had a thing about that hat that he wears, because I think it gives him an advantage. Mm. Yeah. I think it gives him presence and an almost unbeatable air that keepers without the hat don't have. 
Now we've got it. Long live the hat. Yeah, long live the hat. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's change positions. Um, I'll put this one to uh, Mustafa, a.k.a. Bastie. Hello there. Um, this is from uh, Danny uh, Correa, and he asks, is Walcott finally fulling, fulfilling his position potential as a central striker, and has Alexis Sanchez an influence in the way he is playing now? Yes, I'd say um, certainly Sanchez and Walcott seem to be linking up quite well. Walcott also, I mean, he made, against Man United, he made, he made a couple of goals, didn't he? And he, he look, he, that, the, the tackle on, Schneider, on uh, um, Schweinsteiger, and the, the way he battled back, I thought, is that Theo Walcott? I thought, what's he doing? And then that other one, that when he put, put, put the ball out onto the wing, that really good pass, from he was in the centre and he passed it out to Sanchez who went on and scored. Um, you know, that's the sort of thing that he used to get wrong, or he used to sort of screw up. And he's getting things right now. He's maturing. I don't know, how old is he? 26. 26. So he's now, you know, this is, this is it. This is his time now, isn't it, really? It's now next year and the year after. He's got, as a, as a centre forward, to prove himself. And he does seem to be putting them away. He's not Ian Wright. He's not Thierry Henry. You know, he's not got that ruthless streak. He's a bit nice. He does remind me a bit of a sort of Michael Owen type in a way. Oh, Michael Owen is probably a bit nastier actually. So not Diego Costa then? No, he's not. Definitely not Diego Costa. But he, does, he you know, his goals tend to be uh, accurate, or he doesn't sort of crack them in, does he? He's not places like, them. Doesn't he? he places them, yeah. And, and so he's still got to learn a few things about you know when to when he could just chip the keeper instead of sort of you know screwing it right. Like that one at Newcastle, the near post, yeah. which he missed. Yeah. So, you know, but um, promising, definitely promising. And I think the whole team looks really promising at the moment, if he plays that first team. His vision seems to be better this year. Walcott's vision seems to be a lot better than it was previously. And one thing with Walcott, I mean, he hasn't actually touched wood. He might be injured tonight on that plastic pitch in Lithuania. Touch wood, he doesn't. But he he actually hasn't had an injury since January, since he's returned to the team. Um, We're probably now seeing the Theo that gets a run of games... Is fit, hasn't been injured for you know four or five months, and he's playing to his potential now. I mean, let's just hope that that continues and he doesn't get any more injuries. Tim, I, I think we all saw there was some genuine aggression in mm. Walcott's game against Man United. Where did it come from? I think um, it's purely a question of motivation. Um, because how often did we watch Theo Walcott on the right wing when he was 17, 18 and he couldn't trap the ball and he couldn't pass it? You think, well, you know, that'll line out with time. And then he's 22 and he's 23 and he can't trap it and he can't pass it. You think, well, maybe that'll line out with time. And then he's 25 on the right wing and he can't trap the ball and he can't pass it and you kind of give up on the idea that he's ever going to be able to. I just think the idea of being a centre-forward is so appealing to him that... You know, we, he, he's not even played, I don't think, 20 games up front now. And we're seeing a lot of the flaws that I think a lot of us saw in the idea of Walcott as a striker. The physical element, has he got the aggression, can he do the press? He's doing all of that, and I think it's just purely because he's so motivated by the idea of being centre-forward that he yeah. will fight for the ball there, where he won't fight for it on the right wing. Um, so I think it's a little bit motivation. I think he's got an excellent partnership with Sanchez, because Sanchez... There's a lot more liberty to come in field and join him because physically he's a bit better. He's a bit better in the air and he has a little bit more freedom, whereas Giroud and Alexis don't have any kind of on-the-pitch relationship. They don't spark off one another at all in, in a way that I think Walcott and Alexis do. And, and I think Steve's point is exactly right as well in terms of he stayed fit for a, a little while, he's getting a little run of games up there. And personally, I think we should just keep playing in there until such time that either he gets injured, which hopefully he won't, but, or until it just becomes untenable. I, I really think that we know what Giroud can do, and actually I think Giroud's not a bad kind of plan B backup striker, but we know what he can do. He's been the first choice for three years. He's not going to really improve on that. So we, we know what we're going to get from him, whereas Walcott, I think, there's a little bit of excitement germinating because we sense we're seeing the start of something and that actually it could become better and better. His close control has improved a lot this year, mm-hmm. I think. His, his ball being glued to feet aspect has improved a lot. Yeah. And that goal against Stoke, where Ozil put the ball, long ball through to him, he just took it down, killed it dead. 
And then as the keeper came out, he just had the nails to just put it in. Well, that's just confidence, right place, isn't it? Yeah, Whereas yeah. at the moment, Ramsey can't seem to do that. That goal against Stoke was actually a worldie. The mm. way he took that ball yeah. down, it was coming down from a very big height. He just killed it and buried it. Mm. Uh, the Walcott of two years ago, as, as oh. Tim says, wouldn't have done that. Well, uh, most of the uh, questions came from Twitter, but we've had one by email from Gerndog. And it's on this uh, theme of uh, Walcott and Alexis. He says, do you think Wenger will try Walcott and Alexis as strike partners, uh, Ozil behind them, then Ramsey, Santi and Zikok in the middle of the park? At times during Manchester United, it seemed like we were using a 4-3-1-2. I kind of would like to see us actually give it a go. Thoughts? Um, so, I, I mean, the impression I get is there's not much width there. Does anyone think we should change formation? or, or we Well, I think it? Sanchez and Walcott, they dovetail brilliantly together. Mm. And it was noticeable against Man United that Walcott was, was going all over the, the, the front line. Right, centre, left, dropping back. And when he was on the right, Sanchez was on the left and vice versa, they were dovetailing. United couldn't mark them, couldn't get near them because they were just dovetailing all over the front of the pitch. And with Ozil floating behind, also with freedom to roam, and Ramsey as well, I think it's a, it's a great formation, that is. Well, is, is, it, <clears throat> is it a formation? Or are Arsenal now so fluid that when they had the ball, you couldn't really say that they are in particular positions. Well, I don't think that's just an Arsenal thing. I think that's the way football's progressed. If you look at the way the big teams play, they'll have a formation for when they have the ball. And, for, and I, th I actually think the word formation's a bit of a misnomer. I think they'll have their starting positions, but um, you know the, the kind of positions uh, the, the gentleman that sent the email there, Gerndog, I believe. Yes, that's right. Uh, I, I hope that's not your real name. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know... Sometimes when we've got the ball, that happens anyway. And you look back to kind of the Invincibles and the double side of 2001-2002, you look at it as a 4-4-2, but really, were Pires and Lundberg ever on the wing? Not really. And was, you know, was Ray Parler a right winger in the 98 double side? Was Overmars a left winger? Not really. When we no. had the ball, they all had freedom to interchange. And you look at the way Barca play, the way Bayern play. I just think the way modern football's gone... Um, formation, I think, is a quite defensive word, and that's what teams that set up with discipline do. But attacking teams are much more fluid than that. I think um, when you when you when you get, when you play like Arsenal did against Man United, which was those first twenty minutes, it was like watching Barcelona. It was like watching, dare I say, you know, the really good Man United team of old mm -hmm. or, or whatever, right? Who, when you're that good and you're ripping a team to shreds, you're so full of confidence. You had the first goal, Urzel, like you know, on the touchline. Basically, you had three up front. You know, it, so you had Urzel like getting the ball across to Sanchez. Just anything goes because you're, it's basically the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, when Arsenal's that good, where that it's sh showboating time and let's take the piss. You know, um, which is how we like it, of course. But you can't always have that. You know, there's a time where we will go back into our defensive shells which by the way the second half my god there were times in the second half I thought you know we could quite easily fuck this up well Giroud missed two sitters didn't he well no there was, sitters were missed but it's not so much what we, we were missing up front but really silly mistakes one or two again um, oh Gabriel Gabriel you know uh, oh, there, were, there were one or two because well, all does it sometimes just giving not thinking it's like that I've, I've got the ball I've got the ball yeah. running around a little circle yeah. looking at the floor and then giving the ball away to the opposition yeah, you know what it is it's being caught in possession in your own half when there's absolutely no need to be yeah lack of concentration yeah. and yeah. general awareness yeah. it was the same at Leicester whenever they, whenever they looked dangerous whenever they created a chance it was usually because an Arsenal player was dawdling on the ball, mm. didn't get rid of it quick enough, trying to be too clever. Just play the simple ball, especially in your own half. And for anyone who wasn't in the stadium uh, and had to watch it on Sky, Martin Tyler and Gary Neville as a couple of like you know co pu commentator pundits to, to take you through that game. All they went on about the whole time was, well, if Man United can get one back, it'll open it right open again. And then, no, I, I kid you not, 91 minutes. I think Neville said, well, I think, I, I think even if Man United score now, it's probably a bit unlikely they're going to get anything <laughs> back. It was so bloody long I've been said that, I've I've got, I've got to put a word in for Gary Neville. I know he's a, a full-blown, dyed-in-the-wall Man United fan. But if there's any commentator, even including Thierry Henry, that's got a good word to say about Arsenal, it's Gary Neville. I think he's got a... I don't know whether it's respect from the old days with Vieira and Wenger... 
and Roy Keane and the battles we had in the early 2000s. But he seems to have a lot of respect for Arsenal yeah. and Arsene Wenger, despite what you said after the Olympi Olympiacos game. Um, but I think he's got a lot of respect for Arsenal and he's, he actually quite likes us, I think. Well, mm. more now than he used to when he played yeah. against them. But yeah. I, think, I think he basically probably respects the way Arsenal are trying to achieve success mm. as opposed mm. to buying it. Mm. And yeah. I think mm. he sees the merit in that. Absolutely. 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 He, he, he does want Arsenal to succeed for that Absolutely. reason. Um, OK, we've got two similar sort of questions now. I'll read them both. One's from our regular contributor to the Gooners, Simon Rose. And the other is from uh, Jonathan Hausman, who uh, used to sell the Gooner for us uh, way back in the day. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Any relation, any relation to Peter? Uh, spelt differently, as oh. I think I told you last time. Um, anyway, I'll, I mean, I'll read the both questions. They're, they're pretty similar. Uh, would going out of the Champions League genuinely improve our chance to win the Premier League, or is that a bit of a myth, asked Simon? And then Jonathan says, following the last two results, uh, presumably Olympiacos and Manchester United... Would going out of Europe on this one occasion give us the best chance of winning the league? So, uh, same question, really. Um, Tim, do you think it's desirable to uh, go out of the Champions League? And Presumably, in that case, we'd want to finish fourth rather than third. Yeah, I, th I think it's a really tricky one, because, yeah, I, I kind of think so, if we go out of it altogether. And um, I, I actually have a, a slight feeling that Wenger may feel the same, which may explain his team selection, certainly for Olympiacos. I was really drawn to a quote from him just before the group stage draw, and somebody asked him, you know, what are Arsenal's chances of winning it? And he said, we're not dreamers, um, which was really interesting. It really wasn't picked up on upon that much and we can have a whole new podcast on that quote it, it, well exactly exactly he's <laughs> probably quite right but whether he should be so kind of candid with it is is another thing um i think the league is really really up for grabs this year i just there's not a team that impresses me at the moment they all look fallible um if you know if aguero's basically city are favorites on the strength of aguero's hamstrings other than that it's at, which are which is a pretty kind of shaky ground to be on. Other than that, I think it's totally up for grabs, and there is a big part of me that thinks, yeah, if we go out and just go out fourth in the group, that we will have a better chance. But at the same time, I'm really not one of these people that would be dismissive of the Europa League if we were to if we were to end up in it. I just don't think if you're in a competition, it's because you belong in it. I don't think Arsenal really have any right to be snooty about the Europa League because. Frankly, we've, ne we've not been a threat in the Champions League for some years. We're losing to teams that would struggle to get out of a Europa League group stage, quite frankly. So if that's our level, fair enough. And actually, you know, I, I'm not really one for prioritising competitions that much just because I think all competitions are contrived for our entertainment. And really, it's only the price on the head of each one that makes one more important than the other. So if we went into the Europa League, I'd really want us to give it a good go. Um, and I think actually it might be a valuable platform for future Champions League campaigns, assuming we keep qualifying. Um, but yeah, the, and that's where it's really difficult because I do think there's there's a real sense that actually if we just went out altogether um, in the second half of the season, it might give us the edge. Well, Wenger's never won a European trophy. If we drop into the Europa League this year, and there's a, probably more of a chance of doing that than finishing bottom mm. or qualifying. I would expect Wenger to go out there and, and try and win that competition 100%. But what you're not taking into account is the Europa League's on a Thursday. And your argument of you know um, playing in Europe on a Tuesday yeah. and then Man United on a Sunday, yeah. you can wave goodbye to the, the league then. But we play most Sundays anyway. So wave goodbye to winning the league. Yeah, but might, might Wenger just deliberately name a youth team? For the Europa League, well, can he, he change? Does he have to win it? Not if he wants to win it. Does it well, no, but the point being, the, the point yes. being, he he probably would be more interested in trying to win the Premier League than winning the Europa League. Yeah. So on that level, he he has not. It's not unknown for him to throw cup competitions no. before. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Let's face it. But, but I would hope if we're in the Europa League, that he does his damnedest to try and win it. Well, I think, I think I've never seen Arsenal winning European I, 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 in years. Well, I'm, I'm the host. But, you or know, 20 years. I, I would not be surprised if he threw the Champions League group to make sure he finished fourth. Yeah. Anyway, Basti, anything else you want to add? Or? Yeah, no, it's just that. It's just that I feel that if we enter the Europa League, um, then we're, we're going to end up where Tottenham end up. Because 
The Europa League is is it will bite into our resources and into our it's a lot of games, you know, and um, for what really? I mean, I, you know, I agree. Look, well, for what look, is basically you don't have to finish top four, and yeah. you will get to so the in. winners of the Europa League. Yeah, if you win, group yeah. if you win it, yeah, so be um, yeah, but that's if you win it. I remember yes, going, you know, exactly. watching Galatasaray knock us out yes. in the final. So, I mean, so I mean, you can get to a final and blow it. You know, would it not and be, it's not, not easier to try and win the Europa League than it would be to win the Champions League. It depends League. on. No, to finish in the top four. No, is it easier to finish in the top four or win the Europa League? It depends who you are. No, but come on, on, Steve, guys, what do you what do you want to win, the Europa League or the Premier League? It's not even a question, is it? We want to be champions, right, of England, right, and that's it. So uh, you know, ultimately, that I think you know, if it push comes to shove. And it's there for the taking. Chelsea aren't that good this year. They, the only reason they beat us was because they, they cheated. cheated. Yeah, we, we, we cheating bastards. We had, them, we had them on the ropes, and Costa knew it. That's why he tried to get Koscielny sent I'd off. say it was an even first half. Well, even, yeah, even away from <laughs> so home. Hardly on the ropes. Well, hang on a minute. And then, wait, Costa goes off and they're down to ten, and then it's not an even match, is it? So why he wasn't red-carded, I'll never know. But they're not that good. City are fallible. Man United, well, we can see what they're made of. Um, and, well, this might bring you on to the next question. I don't well, know. Liverpool, Liverpool and Klopp. Well, we'll get there. My, my question before that is... We have to play, play Bayern Munich at home uh, first. Um, based on the Manchester United performance, does anyone think we could actually beat Bayern? If we play that same team and we go out in that... Um, um, the, the only problem is Bayern aren't Man United. <laughs> Bayern are a lot better than the current Man United. <laughs> and they have been for a while. Every dog has its day. I remember, you know, when we had to we had to beat them away from home. We 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 beat them two 0 didn't we? We needed three 0 would have taken us through. Three 0 would have taken us through. We, they are beatable. We can beat Man, uh, uh, Bayern Munich, but uh, they are bloody good, bloody strong, well, we, bloody well, we difficult played to beat. Ninety minutes against Bayern Munich, the way we did when we were three 0 up against Man United. Mm. Keep them out at all costs. Catch them on the break. All it needs is one chance. Walcott takes it, Giroud takes it, Sanchez takes it, someone takes it, we win 1-0, 2-0 or whatever, move on, you know, thank you very much. I wouldn't go gung-ho because they will catch us, they'll pick us off, you know, if we play into their hands by attacking and letting them counter-attack us. But isn't it going to be difficult for Arsenal to start a game on the back foot? Yeah. Well, they need to use their heads, something they never use oh. in Europe. No, we're not that good defensively, though. I mean, the thing is, if we sit back... They could think, right, OK, we're sort of crammed into our own we are quite penalty area. Well, we're, we can we've got be, four very, very good defenders. That can go tits up too, because then See, they I'll score and it's like game over. If you look at Petr Cech, Hector Bellerin, Gabriel, uh, and or Kozielny, Mertesacker, Mon- um, and um, protected by, by Coquelin and Cazorla, if, if, if we play that back four and they're all excellent players in their own right, all of them would, wouldn't look out of place in the Bayern Munich team. If we play that usual back four and just play like we don't want to concede a goal and if we get one chance and take it, that's if the way we If you do that, play. you've got to do what Ian Wright mentioned the other day. And he, said he couldn't understand it. I've been saying it for years. You know, yeah. why don't we, you know, in the old days, when, when the other team was attacking or they had a corner or whatever, you had Ian Wright or, or Henri or whatever on the halfway. Henri didn't do it yeah. that much. But Ian Wright was on the halfway line taking away two defenders. Now, Walcott is that player. To stand there on the halfway line and hit them on the long ball yeah, on the break. It, he did it be Leicester. Yeah, if you yeah. look at um, the Leicester game, I think now he's at centre forward. Possibly there's more scope for it. At Leicester, he was doing that. He was going up to the halfway line. Yeah. I, I think with Bayern, actually, I, last time, if you remember the last time we played them, the first 20 minutes, we we started like we did we did against United. We battered them. And if Ozil had put that penalty away, I think yeah. it would have been such a different time. It would have been brilliant. Yeah. But um, we got caught on the break. Chesney conceded the penalty. Ozil thought of his, all his mates watching on German telly. And, and but I'd, 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 I wouldn't go out there to entertain. I'd go out there no. to keep a clean sheet. Okay. Would you? Well, would you go out then we want to play Petra Cech. Is he going to play Ospina? That is the $64,000 question. He plays Ospina against Ospina in a month or something, isn't he? I think he will play check myself. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, we have briefly alluded to the new Liverpool manager. So I've got two questions here, one from Adam Haylock and one from Mark Holmes. 
Uh, firstly, Adams, similar, but I'll read them both. With Klopp taking over at Liverpool, do you anticipate them overtaking the Gunners over the next few years? And Mark Holmes asks, with Klopp now at Liverpool and Pep seemingly going to City, who will take over in 2017 or will Arsenal sign another contract? So, um, well, I think I can answer that last one. Uh, Arsenal will be staying longer, I'm pretty damn sure of that, so forget anything else. However, Klopp at Liverpool is interesting because here is a club that definitely would not seem out of place in the top four. Um, and it's really whether or not this is the manager to actually achieve that and whether or not he'll boot Arsenal out in the process. Tim, do you think the top four is a permanent state of affairs as we sort of thought it was with Chelsea, Man United, Man City and Arsenal? Do you think it's going to fluctuate more now? Um, I'd have been tempted to say no at the beginning of the season, but looking at what's happening to Chelsea at the moment, I think this is... The clock to Liverpool is, is absolutely fascinating on so many levels and I really haven't got a strong opinion on what's going to happen. There's part of me that thinks, if I were a Liverpool fan, that's exactly who I'd want. And I think that the Liverpool board blinked on Brendan Rodgers pretty quickly because they knew Klopp was available and they had to move quickly. And I don't think that's an unfair move at all because, I mean, I don't really rate Brendan Rodgers that highly. And I think potentially Klopp and Liverpool is a really, really good fit. And then there's another part of me that thinks, well, actually, you know, Klopp did brilliantly taking on Bayern in the Bundesliga, but kind of ran out of steam. His style of play kind of ran the players into the ground a little bit. They picked up lots of injuries because it's such a demanding style. And he even said in his press conference this time, you know, I don't want the players to think about the next game. I want them to think about this one, which is in many ways very refreshing. But I wonder if it has a shelf life to it. Um, but I think it's so fascinating on so many levels because on one hand, I think Klopp kind of has a free pass this season in terms of consolidate, try and get things together, try and get the style together and then next year try and have a go at the top four and it'll be fascinating to see if he can do it. On the other hand, with the kind of dire straits Chelsea are in at the moment, how quickly, if this goes on, how quickly do Chelsea blink on Mourinho? And if they Fuck do. Fuck off Mourinho! <laughs> Mourinho! Fuck off Mourinho! Fuck off Mourinho! I think that's the sentiment we can all get behind. <laughs> but then who do they appoint? Because the only guy that's available is Carlo Ancelotti, who they've already sacked, and this is a problem for Chelsea. They've gone through everybody. They'll probably get Ronald Koeman, and he'll do brilliant now. And, uh, but that, and, but uh, that's the other thing, because on, on one hand, this could be Liverpool's best chance to do it. I think they're only two or three points off fourth at the moment. Yeah. And Chelsea is still in dire straits and it looks like a, a club with a really rank atmosphere running through it. And, and oh, actually, it has had. No change well, there then. Well, <laughs> but this time the players seem to actually be bothered by it rather yeah. than kind of empowered by it. And so actually this might be his best shot at the top four. And if he can get them in this year, then maybe the pull of him... Um, with Champions League football, he'll be able to get the level of player and actually maybe make a good shot of keeping them in there. It's it's a really really tough job though, and I, I I'm I'm quite happy to see it. I think it's great for the Premier League, and I'm I'm so excited to see what will happen because I've got no idea, quite frankly, and that's how it should be. Mm. Um, Steve, I mean, let's just take a scenario here. Let's go back two weeks' time. Arsene Wenger gets run over by a bus. Mm-hmm. Okay, has to give up uh, work. Yeah, Arsenal go for Klopp. Yeah, good fit, great fit. I really, really wanted Klopp for Arsenal. I thought I think Klopp would Klopp and Arsenal would be a magnificent fit. But huge but, he's now gone to Liverpool. Arsene Wenger, despite what I keep saying about him, is no mug. Every time Arsene Wenger, um, you think you know he's going to change, he's going to sign the players, he's going to make a go for the Champions League going to make a go for the Premier League every time he lets us down this summer he had let's say conservatively 70 million to spend he couldn't find a player better than Giroud to lead our line he couldn't find a backup for Coquelin couldn't find a winger to put some competition and you know, get us wide get the crosses in and stuff in short he let us down this summer now Klopp's gone to Liverpool we have to make the best of a bad job with Arsene Wenger he is no mug. He's a good manager. What Wenger now needs to do is rise to the challenge. He's got to realise that Klopp is going to be seen as a messiah at Liverpool. 
he's now got he's not only just fighting with Man City Chelsea Man United he's actually fighting with Liverpool as well now uh, he needs to rise to the challenge he needs to get that check, checkbook out in January he needs to prove to all of us that, that he can do it he's not a busted flush he needs to he needs to recreate the Arsene Wenger of 2004 he needs to see off Klopp and I'm, I'm not saying he can't do it he just needs to push the boat out you know um, get some players in motivate the players and prove to us that he is still good enough to be Arsenal manager uh, Basti uh, in this country Klopp is viewed as a bit of a loose cannon now obviously you uh, are in Germany on a regular basis what's the view over there? well I think he's, he's, he's someone his character is going to be important because he's someone who um, obviously did really well with Dortmund and got them into a you know very strong position for a while but then it, it was like you said it was like he was running himself and the team into the ground and he started getting emotionally he seemed jaded he seemed like when Wenger goes like that he sometimes Wenger looks tired you know and you see him but then he always seems to bounce back with a light little smile and a little chirpy kind of smile uh, and, and 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 sort of lightens doesn't doesn't take it all too seriously Klopp has this it's a German thing as well it's a trait that when they get really into something, it's like, I must do it or else, you know, and it, he can get a bit like that. He, and I think he, he, he ran himself down. He had to take a year off, basically, you know, and he ran Dortmund into near relegation zone at mm-hmm. one point. So the thing is, he might have a honeymoon period and he might have a, he might even win some trophies with Liverpool. Whether he can maintain a sort of consistent, level-headed, 20-year run like Wenger has, you know, for all his his... his you know, we bash Wenger, but you know, we are t- we are we are in Europe every year, and, and we we are, we are now again on a little resurgency. I mean, I wouldn't. It's a bit early to tell, but every year now, we you know, we were third last year. We could easily, we were nearly second. We could at one yeah, point. Yeah, look, if yeah. we hadn't had such a bad start, which we've not had this year, we've had a decent start, um, not perfect but decent, uh, and we're in second position. And look where Chelsea are. Should be Watford Saturday. Well, that's, that's shoulds, shoulds in football. That depends if, yeah, but the only thing is if Wenger plays the same team he did against Olympiakos and doesn't he pay won't. Watford respect, he then won't. that could come Fully back and slap Theo Walcott to score on Saturday. Well, is the Bayern expectations game... lead to resentment, Steve. So is is Bayern Tuesday or Wednesday night? Tuesday. 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 And Watford is Saturday evening. Yeah. I suspect we will see a bit of rotation, and it'll be interesting yeah. to see which which game the strongest teams pick for. Mm-hmm. Um, I but am in. Go your on. view, Ken. Your your view on Wenger and Klopp. Yes. Do you, how do you think Wenger's going to react to that? Um, well, I don't think it's going to make any difference. Um, it makes life more interesting. But at the end of the day, we've already played them once. We've only got to play them once for this season. I think that's all Wenger will be concerned about. But will he be more inclined to sign decent players, knowing I, the clubs I, don't do that in January? No. No? No. Uh, Wenger is, is not going to be influenced by what's happening in other clubs. He'll be influenced by whatever agenda he's under um, from the board and whether or not he fancies a player and whether or not he though, thinks he's worth it. Having Klopp as a manager won't half make for a great video. If it all goes wrong for him, you know, you'll have Hitler in the bunker and Gus oh, Alter yes, go again. Of course, We've had enough of those, haven't we? Now, I'm intrigued by what's happened at Chelsea. I mean, they won the league last season. They looked pretty good doing so. It's all Until January. Well, no, even after January, what I thought, what I saw last season was a team that was programmed to get ahead and stay ahead. Yeah. So Mourinho actually knew they were going to run out of steam, and then after that they played their result football. And well, they were he, capable of he both. He didn't rotate, did he, last year? He did lot. not. He did not rotate. He didn't rotate in the Champions League or the Premier League. The irony being, on. this season he's had to rotate because of the results. But, yeah. I mean, do we have a theory on why it's gone so badly wrong? Anybody? I, I think he's such an asshole that um, he gets found out uh, after uh, three years. Uh, uh, I just think that the players. I'm sure that like I just think his methods are fairly short term in that he goes for the kind of us against the world shtick, and I think that works for a certain amount of time. But he's such an ass, and they play fairly boring, stifling football, and I just think that players get bored of that after a while. I'd be, I've got no real strong opinion on this. I'd be fascinated to know from inside the club how much the uh, the Eva Canero situation has taken a toll, if at all. 
because um, to be fair I, th- I think did they lose to Man City before no 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 they lost to Man City straight after that didn't they mm. but I mean even before that they didn't start particularly well through the Swansea, Swansea, Swansea. Swansea that was yeah, the day yeah, yeah. They were hanging on for dear life. That's it, yeah, yeah. But I, I'd be interested to know if, if that accounted for perhaps him losing the respect of his players a little mm. bit. But Fabregas, well, Fabregas looks a different player this year. <laughs> totally different player. Matic, different player. Yeah. Hazard, totally different player. Costa hasn't scored a goal hardly this year. But also, um, they, like I think they Chelsea. found that he's, he's probably, because he's probably a bit of a bully, isn't he? And, yeah. is, and uh, you know, no one likes a bully in the classroom, you know what I mean? And maybe he just went, up, with that incident with the physio, it went over the line. And he, yeah, that might well be a, a play. Also, Chelsea did, they did a post-season tour of Australia, they did a pre-season tour of America, and when you haven't rotated your team for a year, and you, you know, I, I don't know if maybe, maybe it's just a mixture of all of these things put together, but they did a lot of travelling over the summer when they should have been resting. And when you've got fairly, you know, because they're not, they're not youngsters either, you know, it's well documented that Mourinho doesn't trust younger players. So these guys are all in their late 20s, early 30s, mm. and they've all been put through this kind of cycle. And I, I just think all of those things together have just created some bad vibes and long may it continue but also losing John Terry I mean John Terry was there Tony Adams um, when we lost Tony Adams we had to sign Sol Campbell to replace him I don't, I'm not sure whether Kurt Zuma or Cahill looked lost without John Terry and even when they played together they both looked lost um, as, as, we've all, as we're all saying long may it continue I, I want Chelsea to lose every single game I'm going to put a one word um, a question which needs a one word answer yes or no to all of you do you think Chelsea will finish in the top four at the end of this season Steve mm. do you know what I think they'll, I think they'll finish above Man United <laughs> right so is that a yes or a no that's a yes right Basti uh, reluctantly yes Tim reluctantly yes okay all right um well, we talked briefly about um, Tony Adams here. Uh, we've got a few questions from Adam, Adam, Adam Haylock uh, for this podcast. I won't ask them all, but this one, um, I'm going to skew it a bit. He asks, in honour of Tony Adams' recent birthday, who has been the best captain since his tenure? Well, I'm going to say now, let's forget Patrick Vieira, because pretty obviously Vieira is the best captain since Adams. I don't think anyone would dispute that. Let's go with the rest. Who, who is the pick of the rest of the Arsenal captains? Has there been a captain since, since Tony Adams? Well, Vieira, but you know. Since Vieira? Right. Has there been a captain? There has. Been? Well, basically, Fabregas. we had Gallus, Gallus, Gallus Fabregas, Henry. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Gallus, oh no, Henry. Yeah. Henry, Gallus. Yeah. Um, Fabregas. Yeah. Vermarlin. No, Vermarlin. Marlin. Marlin, Van Persie. Yeah. Van Persie might have been before Van Persie, Van Persie Marlin, for Marlin, Arteta. Arteta. But Lee Dixon, <laughs> when Adams wasn't well. No, since, since Adams. Well, you have to say, you have to say that the captain, the deputy captain, Mertesacker, in the absence of Arteta, mm. has probably been the best captain because he's led us to two trophies. Right. The two FA Cups. Mm-hmm. And in that FA Cup run, we've beaten Spurs, Liverpool and Everton to win those two trophies on the way I might miss someone out but three big teams can't sniff at that Mertesacker was captain you know um, I think Mertesacker has been the best captain since Tony Adams and the way he talks to the, comes to the fans afterwards and he's yeah. always he is, he is, he is an obvious Adams like yeah. captain yeah. Uh, he's got that gangliness as well that kind of slightly yeah. awkward and physique. a love of the club and a love of the club so yeah, I'd probably say Mertesacker as well. I, I think the combination of Mertesacker and Arteta is actually, together, you've got the perfect captain within those two players. Um, my answer would be Gilberto Silva. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, who effectively did the job for a season um, and I think was quite unfairly kind of, um, you know, had his destiny taken away from him, really, when, when Gallas was given the armband, albeit I kind of understood why, because it was a nice team of young Young, nice young lads, and he wanted a bit of a bastard as captain. Unfortunately, Gallas was a bit too much of a bastard. But um, I Plus thought he was pants as well. <laughs> but I, I <laughs> thought that season that Gilberto Silva took it. Um, I thought he took the responsibility really seriously. Started taking penalties, which he had no form for in his career. His goal scoring went up, because, and I think that was all just because he felt like 
it was his responsibility, and I think it was something he took very seriously. Didn't Sol Campbell wear the captain's armband? Do you, do you, yes, do you, on occasion. Question to the floor. Do you think we've had better teams than the two that won the FA Cups previous to the last two years? Yes. When we didn't win any trophies? Yes. 07 08. We had better teams where team. we didn't win well, trophies. We, we challenged the league quite seriously in 2008 and 2010. Yeah. Would, you say be- would you say this was the best team we've had since we've been at the Emirates? Promising, most promising. I'd say squad, but not team. Yeah, I think I do think the 2018 was actually very good. They were just unlucky with injuries and with Czech in goal. You've got there is the makings of something here. I think we need a bit more spine, but we. I think there is the makings of something. I disagree with Arteta being. He may be a good captain on paper or whatever, but. For starters, he's not really a first-team player, is he? As oh, on no, ability, no. so how can he be the best captain? Um, I, I, I think I, in the dressing room and on the training ground, and I, I think he's clearly pegged for a coaching career. I think he's even in the last week coached the under-16s. I think mm. the cl- I, I think that's one of the reasons they kept him on. Actually, yeah. they really see something. No, I'm sure he'd be good on, on that level. Well, I, they're, they're, I saw a tweet that ventured um, Arsene Wenger might be grooming Mikel Arteta. To take over from him, um, do you think that's a bit fun? Quite goodness me, that's difficult. Not isn't quite. It? Well, you don't know. You just don't know what a player. Like, like Tony Adams was a great captain, but he was a dreadful manager, wasn't he? Yes, um, but he was never. He was never invited by Wenger to get involved in the coaching. No. Whereas Arteta has. The thing been. about Arteta is he reads the game well, doesn't he? And I think any player that can read the game well can make a good manager. And he plays in the collective and he's quite unselfish in, yeah. in the way he plays. And I think Wenger sees all of that. I think he's possibly setting him up for a coaching career, not to take over from him at mm-hmm. Arsenal. But I think he definitely wants mm-hmm. to give him his first steps in, into, that, into that kind of He'll coaching. He'll go back to Everton, won't now, he? Now, actually, yeah. now Klopp has gone to... Listen, this is just a theoretical, hypothetical question. Now Klopp's gone to Liverpool. If Wenger did get run over by a bus tomorrow, mm. who would you get to replace him, Kevin? Well, I would go for Angelotti. Yeah. Angelotti? Yes. Yeah, Tim? Yeah, same. That's it? No idea. Absolutely I would probably go for Ronald Koeman. Yeah, well, I mean, if... if I prefer Koeman. I, I think, yeah. you know, you, you look at some of the state of the ship, you know, if you have such a drastic change mid-season, and yeah. uh, you, you give Angelotti 18 months to basically create um, the stability to get some someone for the long term later on... Um, I think but the way Koeman set his team up at Stamford Bridge recently murdered Chelsea. He's and that, a good that, manager. That Manet, do you think we should go in 50 million for him in January? 50 or 15. 50, 5 um, You wouldn't get him otherwise. Not sure. I think he is magnificent. Okay. Right, anyway, let's um, briefly uh, touch on the current issue with Aguna. Um, and discuss uh, a couple of old players. We haven't got too long, but I'm going to ask for some memories from those who would remember. Um, there's an article on Alan Hudson, Steve. I remember Alan Hudson very well. Please tell us. Alan Hudson was a cultured, strolling, very charismatic, attacking midfield player with an eye for a through ball, very much in the mould of Meza Erzl. Didn't like tracking back. Didn't like running, which is why ultimately he never made it at Arsenal. Didn't run enough, didn't have chase back enough. But when he was on the ball, he could just throw his shoulder and send anyone around him the wrong way. And he had an eye for a most fantastic ball through the middle. He could, he could cut a defence with one pass. He was awesome. And strangely, the only manager that seemed to be able to bring the best out of him was... Tony Waddington at Stoke. Mm. For some reason, Tony Waddington tapped into his psyche and got the best out of him. He was very injury-prone at Arsenal, so he never really had a run of games. Did he play in the 78 Cup final? Uh, not sure. Possibly. I think he did, actually. Mm. I seem to remember seeing him in the shirt. Yeah, yeah I think he did. Um, I thought he was a magnificent player. Unfortunately, at Arsenal, he was injury-prone. But if you, if you put um, Alan Hudson forward 35, 40 years put him into the current team, a fit Alan Hudson, under Arsene Wenger's tutelage, he would be a most fantastic, you know, creative midfield player. And he could certainly do... smoke 20 embers yeah, a day. He could certainly, <laughs> <laughs> certainly hold his own with Mesut Ozil. 
he would be so charismatic. Do you know what's funny? I, I'd forgotten about Alan Hudson. Like, and earlier we talked about it, and I, was, I couldn't really recollect him. But when you said he had that really cutting through ball, yeah. suddenly it clicked with me. Yeah. And I remember a couple of those balls that he, he did have that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny how you, 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 you brought him back for me there. So. He, had a, he, had a, he had a great way of holding, a, holding his marker off, seemingly effortlessly, and then sending someone the wrong way and then just putting a through ball through to someone. Mm -hmm. He was brilliant. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't a runner. He, could, he wouldn't take players on and get across him, but he just, had, he just had it all naturally. He was brilliant. Okay, there's also an article recalling Paul Davis. Um, Tim, mm. a little bit more of your era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul, well, Paul Davis was a fixture in Arsenal's midfield when I first started going, albeit um, kind of when I, when I got my first season ticket in 1992, this was a, an era where Paul Davis had been completely frozen out and spent 18 months in the reserves. Um, because for some reason I think Graham blamed him for the Benfica defeat. Um, I, I really, really liked Paul Davis, and he was kind of getting on in years um, when I saw him, but to be honest, I don't think Paul Davis getting on in years and Paul Davis as a young man were... Because he never ran either. Well, exactly, yeah. He was one of those guys who, when he got the ball, time seemed to slow down um, in both a good and a kind of bad way. Um, but also, you know, Paul Davis kind of came through in an era in the 80s where... You couldn't get by in the English top flight by just being a cultured midfielder who could move the ball around quite nicely. He was, um, you know, he could look after himself as well. Um, fantastic ambassador um, for the club, and you know the, the way he took kind of, um, you know, Graham effectively taking that Benfica game out on him, and, and Davis missed a lot of the kind of the FA Cup and the League Cup winning season and the rest of it. And actually, I just remember how kind of well he took that in terms of he just kept quiet, he just played for the reserves for and he and he just worked his way back in. And um, you know, tremendously cultured midfielder, probably in an era where the cultured midfielder didn't really exist. And probably another one like you said about Alan Hudson, if if his time was ten to fifteen years later, would probably be an awful lot more appreciated than he was in his actual time. Well what Davis to me was he was very much that part of the spine of Arsenal then, because we had a spine, you know, we had you know, Seaman in goal, or, or before that, Lukic, but anyway, but super, and, and then you had, uh, you know, Adams, and then you had Davis, and then he was the linchpin in the middle, wasn't he? I remember, I remember him sort of standing, he was very, sort of stood there proudly, didn't he? And sort of like, he, he'd turn and he'd just put a pass in, and uh, there was that, when they first, when he first Davis, started, it was that, that three degrees thing, wasn't it? With Davis and Steve Williams were a good combination. Mm. Davis and Steve Williams. Were oh yeah, awesome Steve together. Williams. Yeah, 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 yeah. They worked very well. Steve together. Williams is one of the best midfielders ever to play. And cultured. Basketball. It was a cultured play. He wouldn't brilliant. make stupid mistakes. It, I, I remember him as being. It, it, Davis would get the ball. You think, oh, we're all right now. He's got the ball. So he's going to do something simple but effective with it that's going to work. And that, that's what. Yeah. That's Steve Williams was Aaron Ramsey with a shot. He Williams was, was yeah. my stepdad's uh, favourite player, and actually, I suppose in, in kind of modern parlance, Williams and Davis would be called a double pivot. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Williams quite. quite well, it was a bit. Vieira was right. Petit, wasn't it? It was like a poor man's Vieira and Petit because of Vieira and Petit. You saw Steve Williams, okay? Oh yes. Yeah. What did you think? I thought he was brilliant. Yeah. And yeah. I'll tell you what, I, my favourite Williams memory, I think I've probably said it on this podcast before, it was facing up to the chicken run at West Ham when they invaded yeah. the pitch. Yeah. And all the other players ran off the pitch and Williams just stood there and uh, fronted up this guy, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't at yeah. all phased uh, by And apparently from his base in Exeter he's still an Arsenal fan now. That's good too. He, he had that sort of snooker player's haircut, didn't he? You could see him. Yes. There's something about Williams, he really should have been like three in the morning playing snooker with a, a little... Waistcoat. He probably he was playing Stoke at three in the morning. We signed him uh, over Christmas in 1985. Yes. And when the news came through that we finally signed him... It was earlier than that, wasn't it? No, made my Christmas, that did. I think we signed a bit earlier than that. 84, maybe? December 84? I've got a recollection of 85. might have been 84, but mm. whatever Christmas it was, it, it made it for me. Mm. OK, well, on that uh, nostalgic note, we are running out of time. Um, so I have just got time to plug the current issue with Guna. Uh, this one remains on sale for the home matches against Bayern and Everton. Amongst the contents are interviews with three of the Arsenal players arranged for us by the club, uh, specifically Arteta, Koscielny and the Ox. Also a chat with the club's supporter, liaison officer, a man who once guested on this very podcast back in the day by the name of Mark Brindle. 
As we may have mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, we have articles on Alan Hudson and Paul Davis. There are also contributors and memories of Arsenal under floodlights, as well as a piece on the club's worst shirts ever. And of course, plenty more in an advert three, 48 pages, including a Diego Costa voodoo doll on the back cover. Can't we just do the first worst shirts ever? Oh, uh, if it's brief, Basti. Brief worst shirt ever, Steve. Do know they're all good? If they are some shirts, they're good. Basti? <laughs> I'll go along with that part from the Green Away kit. Right, Tim, any particular? Um, I think this season's third shirt. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah. I like that. Oh, I think I like that. I saw it in the shop. I couldn't believe we'd actually have anything I like, like that. that. I, I, I can't so. even remember what it looks what like. What are they ever going to wear? It's, it's, it's got lots of blue in it or something. It's yeah. like, what is it? It's I haven't horrible. seen anyone wearing it. No, I've seen no one will wear that. I've seen someone wear it. That it looks good. good. I like it. Oh, <laughs> right, anyway, uh, back to the plot. And you can contact us via uh, on Twitter at the Guna Podcast and on email gunapodcast at gmail.com. And with that, it's just time for some quick goodbyes from uh, Mustafa. Just to say, if we play Bayern Munich in that third shirt, we're out of Europe. <laughs> Tim? And deservedly so. Cheerio. We will be wearing that third shirt in Munich. Yeah, definitely. And it's bye-bye Munich. Yeah. And after all that, we will be back with another edition in November. This is your host, Kevin Witcher. Farewell. And many thanks for listening. la di da di da la di da di All good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey!